You should know in the old days of uh, India, for somebody to even be called a Swami, which would be not even the highest order of a yogi, just somebody who is considered a yogi, they would have to meditate for 11 years in solitude, in a cave. A lot of this stuff has been written by people who spent a decade in pure silence. So imagine what happens to your mind in terms of concentration and also insight. According to yoga, there's two types of information because there are two types of minds. Your rambling mind, your intellectual mind, as intelligent as you are, and you should be proud of your IQ, yoga considers that IQ and intelligence as a much lower form of mind. So what I'm going to talk about this session is an energy field we call pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is not the same thing as your intellectual mind. In yoga, we say that the gap between two thoughts or the space or pause between two breaths is this place of sheer silence, except out of that silence, you start to receive insights, creativity, problem solving, and so forth. There is a field of energy behind your mind in the backdrop. It's actually a gap or a rest between two thoughts. What's the big deal? If I stop thinking, there's nothing there. There is. Once this electricity starts to swirl around your body, you find that sometimes your mind will just go blank of intellectual thought. And what you'll be left with is supreme awareness of the moment, but it's lacking thought. To hear about it the first time, it sounds very boring because you say, today at noon, I went to an oceanside restaurant to see the ocean. There was a lot of hustle bustle going on in the restaurant. So I called upon pure consciousness. Call upon at any time. If you want to call upon this field that I'm talking about, you ask a very simple question. You say, am I here? If you're sitting at a restaurant, you just pose the question, am I really here? Am I tasting my food? Am I looking at my spouse's eyes? Some question that will remind you of the moment. All you've got to do is ask the question. When you ask your que the question, am I here? Suddenly you're transported to this moment. According to all of spirituality, the only place where you can find God is this moment. So, you know, forget this notion of if I'm a good enough lady, in the future, I'll meet God. So according to yoga and any other real spiritual practice, there is no future or past in terms of finding your own essence. People who become extremely happy are intensely present. It's like if you're hugging your grandchild, your heartbeat and his heartbeat are beating together. Or you're doing your gardening, then you really feel like you can feel the presence of the rose. You can't even mindlessly clip the flower off. Once your mind becomes quieter, you'll almost have to ask permission from the rose bush whether you can clip off the flower because you're very much here. 
You can't do anything mindlessly. Even if you're riding a bicycle, you might be careful not to run over an ant. This is what happens to you. This is why for men, when men become very present, their feminine side starts to improve. The feminine side of a man is not effeminate. It just means that we become more sensitive to little children, to gardening, to cooking, to, to the needs of a woman. Because, you know, the biggest complaint of women against men is that they say we're so totally different that they say men always try to fix women when there's something wrong. Honey, don't worry, I'll buy you a car. And that's not the issue. The issue could be something much more complex. Men's feminine side starts to develop with this present moment consciousness. Because if I'm sitting next to my spouse, I'm just more aware instead of tend to work really, really hard. Because, you know, they're supposed to be the breadwinners. So they get so much into working hard that they lose all sensitivity of what's going on in the house. Present moment awareness makes us men much more sensitive to needs of children, women, how to cook, how to garden, uh, even uh, the opposite of violence and aggression. What happens to women, their masculine side develops. So I was in two years of near silence at a meditation center. It's called Maharishi University in Iowa. It's in Fairfield, Iowa, southeast Iowa. It was one of the first, first Vedic universities to be incorporated. It actually gives you a bachelor's degree on the one hand and Vedic sciences and quantum physics on the other side. So you'll be studying biology but there's a meditation dome and you have to meditate twice a day as you're getting your bachelor's in biology. Nowadays there's many more centers like that but when Maharishi created this in Iowa is very unique. It's a, it's a Vedic university that gives you an American bachelor's degree. So what you do is you, you pursue meditation and the Vedantas at the same time as you're studying English literature, whatever. Coming back to pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is a thoughtless field of intelligence. Now, the only way we can taste it right now as I speak, I'm going to ask you to stare down at the carpet or at some solid color like a white tile, and then I'm going to count to three. I'm going to say one, two, three. When I say three, I'm going to ask you to intensely wait for the next thought. So don't construct the sentence, next thought. And I'm, going to, I'm going to show it to you in a in a dramatic way, like this, see? I'm actually waiting for the next thought. If you wait for the next thought, you step right into pure consciousness. Okay, so let's try this. Find a white surface, something with uncomplicated patterns. One, two, three. Stare at your mind, wait for the next thought. Keep waiting. Go into waiting mode. Wait. I wonder what the next thought is. Keep waiting. 
I wonder what the next thought is. Okay. Did anybody feel anxious while waiting? Was there anybody that didn't have a thought while you were waiting? That's the result you're supposed to get. If you don't see the sentence, some of you have such tricky minds that when I say wait for the next thought, your mind creates the slogan with neon lights that says, I am waiting for the next. That's just, that's just your tricky mind. Don't be discouraged. It will go away. Your mind will lose the battle in this weekend because I'm going to be dealing with energies much more subtle than your mind. Let's talk about your mind, by the way, as far as yoga is concerned. All of the noise that you experience in your mind is just noise. There's an ancient scripture called the Shiva Sutras. And in, that, in one of the paragraphs, it says, mind equals mantra. And what it means is that mind is just noise. So this is very insulting to somebody who's graduated from MIT and Harvard, you know, it's like your mind is just noise. But what yoga means is that there's this ocean of silence. Um, when this ocean moves, you get a wave. That wave turns into a thought. So this sounds really abstract. The reason it sounds abstract is we really believe our minds. If I say, Lauren, who's Lauren? And Lauren's going to go into her mind. She's going to add up all of the various thoughts that she typically has. And then she's going to say, I'm this kind of a woman. Somebody will say, I'm a communist. Somebody will say, I'm an engineer. Somebody will say, I'm a grandmother. These are all slogans. When you start to experience meditation, you see that it is possible for you to be intensely awake to this moment, but have no thought about this moment. It is very possible to be extremely intelligent and very in tune without thought. Thoughtless intelligence is called pure consciousness. So then when we start to meditate, I don't want you to be upset at your thoughts. Because what yoga says is that even your rambling thoughts are coming from the same silent ocean, which in the Vedas they call God. In the yogic books, they call God consciousness. According to yoga, the Atlantic Ocean is conscious, you're conscious, the cactus plant is conscious, and so is the stone. So you ask, well, you know, I was willing to believe the first three, but how could a rock be conscious? And the way yoga defines it, yoga says the one you call my Lord is a pulse underneath the atom. So if this is made of atoms, then underneath its atoms, there's something smart. Think of anything that's made of an atom. Everything's made of an atom. Beneath that atom, there is a pulse. Um, 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 um. That pulse is life. And life 
is intelligent, even in a stone. You cannot call a stone stupid because it has a structure. Since it has a structure, some intelligence put it together. The basic message of people who've experienced deeper meditation is that everything around you is alive and thinking. Go out to your garden, the bird sitting on the branch. As far as you know, you know, like I was at this seaside restaurant and there was a bird begging for my french fries. So the bird comes up to the edge of the table and the human mind says, oh, a stupid bird, you know, it just wants to eat. There's no intelligence. But I'm, I'm saying, uh, we can't be sure. I can't be sure whether that bird is socializing with me or not. For example, with many of my students who have cats, they all claim that when they go into deeper meditation, these cats want to be in the room where the meditation is occurring. The reason is, during meditation, you start to experience some subtle vibrations in your body. And animals, like birds, cats, little babies, they're, they're very honed into energy. Like if a one-year-old comes into a living room, there's 20 people, the one-year-old will usually climb on the most loving person. It's very rare for a two-year-old to come in and go up to a very angry person. You're not going to see that happen. Children, little, little ones, they go after the source of love. And that love has a vibrational frequency, just as anger does. You know, have you ever entered a room where you can feel anger and revenge? Like the air is thick. You know there's been a fight there. This is just a world of vibrations. Nothing super magical. All of yoga talks about energy management. If you really want to know what yoga talks about, yoga says you and I and the ocean and the cat, we're all pulsating. We're all pulsating. And that pulse is an intelligent pulse. My more advanced students, they walk around the garden, they literally feel like the ocean, the dog, the flowers, they literally feel like all of this is pulsing. So this is why the Persian poet Rumi says, I used to be dead, now I'm alive. Why? Because you're in your garden and the garden is in some form of communication with you. So leaving yoga aside, how many of you are there since childhood you kind of knew that God is some form of energy. Did anybody have that notion? Okay. Then, did you also have the notion that that energy is everywhere? And did you have the notion that the energy is intelligent and conscious? So then, as a child, would you try and communicate with all this consciousness? How would you do it? Now, let's talk about, let me hear your first name. Dari, you're uh, Juliana's friend. Oh, your friend. Okay. Once this energy starts to run through your body, you literally develop some antennas for feeling life around you. 
It's not that other people are dead, physically speaking. It's just that this energy that we talk about, this holy energy, vibrates at extremely high frequencies. When something vibrates very highly, your five senses cannot pick it up. So the human ear can't even hear a dog whistle, let alone the vibration of God. Dari may have been born with the talent to hone in on this. The one sitting next to her would have seen nothing. It's really a difference in vibrations. You were in tune with energy vibrations that most five senses don't pick up. I'll tell you something interesting. With the students who've done like two or three workshops with me, uh, if their eyes are closed and I'm going around the room to give energy, without hearing my footsteps, they always know where I am in the room. So some of you are already doing this, which means with or without yoga, you've already got the talent. In this session, we're talking about things that exist, but they seem to be invisible because they vibrate highly. At high frequencies, your antennae may be closed off. Let's come back to pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is a field of complete harmony and organization. In other words, if you get used to dipping your mind into this gap between two thoughts, you find that interesting things are happening to your life. For example, your closet of clothes starts to become more organized. Your house will be less cluttered. If you go to a supermarket to buy olive oil, you're not going to stare at 11 different brands. You're just going to pick up olive oil and walk out. There's a kind of simplicity that has nothing to do with becoming poor. So you can keep your Mercedes, but the Mercedes will be clean. The closet will not have so many shoes in it so that you lose a pair for an entire year. Pure consciousness is a field of organization. It is in harmony with nature. You will stop killing. Anything that's poisonous to your body will literally be thrown out. So I had a student who smoked like six a day. It wasn't a horrendous amount. And then when this force awakened in her body, uh, she developed bronchitis in July. She ran to the bathroom after one cigarette and threw up. She threw up something that looked like a green ball of tar. It was 16 years of accumulated tar. And she was only at six a day, which is not a huge amount. After this ball came out, she stayed in bronchitis for a whole month. And then she missed the cigarette so much that she had one other one after three months and she turned yellow like a mango and almost fainted. The thing is when this energy is active in your body, you're in tune with nature. But the force of nature cannot tolerate tar. So I'm not even speaking from a place of morality. There's no place in yoga that says, do not drink vodka. What's really interesting about the scriptures of yoga, there are no no's. This is really interesting. Compared to the major religions that tell you, live this way, my daughter, so that you will not sin, the word sin doesn't exist in the Vedas. All they talk about, basically, is good energy, 
bad energy, neutral energy. It's all energy management. If you don't like the idea of being a sinner, you're going to like yoga because there are no no's and there are no sinners. Even heaven, you know, if you ask the grand masters of yoga, what is heaven? And they'll say, well, heaven is a day in which you're having heavenly thoughts. If you have really ugly thoughts, then that Wednesday is going to turn into hell. If you, if you purposely think uplifting thoughts, that Wednesday is going to be heavenly. You know, even, your, even if you lose a loved one, I know one of you has, even when you lose a loved one, I've been to a cemetery where this was back in Tehran where I was born, and one mother was dumping soil on her head because in Iran, in order to grieve, we throw soil on our head. But that's with the assumption that the one you lost is completely gone, is being eaten by worms, and there's nothing left of her, and she'll never come back again. But if you, if you start having some deeper meditative experiences, you'll see that nothing in nature really dies. Like there's a pear tree with a pear. The pear gets too heavy. It falls on the ground. It starts to rot. It turns into leaves, fertilizer, feeds the tree so that the tree has another pear. In nature, we don't have funerals. Even the American Indians, you know, when the older man wanted to die, he would separate from the clan, go into nature in isolation, and just melt into nature. There was no funeral. Because the Indians were so in tune with nature, they kind of intuitively knew that you just don't disappear into zero. So that one day when I went to the Iranian graveyard, there was one woman dumping soil on her head, just really dying out of grief, there was another woman offering chocolates to everybody. And both of them had lost a son. So I thought, this is an interesting scene, you know. Two moms, I mean, the most horrendous thing in the world is to lose a child before you go. But then again, there were two moms with two completely different reactions to death. Because for one of them, the notion of completely going and becoming zero was just... I often talk to my father. You know, I recommend you talk to the ones you've lost. Because energy, any scientist will tell you, energy just doesn't go into nothingness. Even if you burn a newspaper, the sum of the ashes, the, temp the um, heat, and the smoke will equal the same amount of energy as the newspaper. Talk to your mom if you've lost her. I know you're missing her physically, because I've shed my own tears, but I still talk to my father. Can we prove I'm crazy or not? See, this is where spirituality becomes a bit tricky, because Dottie can hone in on particular vibrations where one of you may not. Rumi says, I used to be dead, now I'm alive. What is he talking about? He's seeing vibrations that he used to not see. We're talking about vibrations of life, that's all. We're not talking about ultra-magical stuff.